thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome. This week in the Football Digest it's a bit of a special because it's the deadly duo. It's myself, John Cross, and my colleague, my wonderful colleague, Andy Dunn. Good morning, Andy. It's just how it's beautiful is just to have the pair of us and plenty to, dis- plenty to discuss, really. The VAR controversy of the week. Have we had enough yet? Um, uh, 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 England squad, European action. Uh, we were both at uh, St. James' Park last night. Yeah. And, and, and indeed, the huge game this weekend, uh, which was at uh, Arsenal Man City on Sunday, which is... Um, you know, which is which is huge. But Andy, we must start with 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 last night, really, and St James's Park. What a performance! What a victory for Newcastle! What an occasion as well. Yeah. Twenty years they've waited. It felt like it was worth the wait, really. Yeah, all those things, John. I mean, all those things were, were, are true. You know what? I, I'm. Let's start off with the actual occasion. You know, I'm one of these who's loath to sort of go down the cliched routes of saying that a crowd can be a 12th man for the team. Um, but that's what they were last night. You know, the occasion lived up to its billing and then some. The atmosphere was absolutely sensational. Now, I'm not saying that PSG sort of wilted in that atmosphere, but it certainly gave the Newcastle players a lift. You know, they were on it from the first minute. You know, I remember Anthony Gordon chasing down defender. I think it was Marquee. No, not Marquinhos. It was one of the defenders. And basically just conceded a goal kick for PSG. And then he was, you know, he pumping his fist to the crowd. Dan Byrne conceded a throw in when he tackled um, Usman Dembele. And again, you know, I thought he was going to jump into the crowd to celebrate the fact that he tackled Dembele. They were absolutely flying. And I think that got through to the players. So first, first things first, the Newcastle fans, you know, I know it can be a bit of a cliche about how great they are, how passionate they are. Well, there's, you know, there's obviously a whole load of clubs who have great and passionate fans, but they were pretty special last night, I must say that. And their team was pretty special. You know, let's not forget that you know Newcastle didn't win because they were lifted by a great occasion. They won because they were the better team, they were a better organised team, they were a better set-up team by Eddie Howe. We might come on to that in terms of how he got the best of Luis Enrique. And man for man, they played better. You know, Man for man, they were sharper. Um, and you know the, the good thing is, it, 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 what actually rounded off the night, what made it the perfect night for Newcastle, was the fact that Dan Ben and Sean Longstaff scored. You know, um, two local lads, um, albeit Dan Ben coming back there um, from a different club, and you know players on there that were that were pre Saudi era, which again I think John is a testimony. No, no matter what the issues surround Newcastle. That was a testimony last night to Eddie Howe, who I think now has established himself. You know, people have, have always had a little, a few doubts here and there about about Eddie Howe, and but I think he's making sure now that those doubts are are long gone. It was um, it was great to see him afterwards, wasn't it? And basically, just looked absolutely made up. Do you think that 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 point in time was was I don't know was the, I, I I kind of thought it was the moment when. This night, above any other, showed just how far Newcastle have come, just how, how much they can achieve indeed. It gave a sort of kind of a, a promise and an optimism for the future, didn't it, as well? 
Yeah, and, and, and I think, anyhow, you know, there was nothing for him not to be pleased about. And I think what maybe even subconsciously he would be pleased about is the fact that that was a great reflection on him last night. It was a great reflection on, listen, you know, it, it is, you know, there's no doubt about it that the Saudi takeover has had a, a very, very beneficial financial effect on the club and they've been able to spend big money, not least of all, of course, on Alexander Isak, who I thought was was excellent last night, as as most of them were, you know, decent money on Anthony Gordon, who 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 Eddie Howe is now turning into um, a very effective player. But I think last night was a really and that's why Eddie will be pleased. It was a really good reflection on him because you had players like you know, players who have been here for quite a while, who he's now getting the best out of. Jamal Lascelles, um, in captain last night. As I say, Longstaff and Dan Burns, uh, Dan Burn w- were in there. It was, uh, I mean, Kieran Trippier was a gr- was a was a great buy, and Eddie Howe um, is getting the best out of these players now. And I just thought that was a really good reflection on him um, last night. And if they do add, as they will going forward, um, decent signs, big names going forward when they when they manage to juggle around the demands of financial fair play. And they're here to stay, aren't they? They're here to stay. It's, it's yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love that Dan Byrne thing. I mean, the Dan Byrne story is great, isn't it? Basically, some kind of grows up the local local boy, Newcastle boy with Newcastle fan, grow, grow, grows up idolising Alan Shearer. You know, kind of gets released, sort of goes through the lower leagues, ends up ends up working a little bit in his local Asda, and basically sort of make ends meet, and just basically works his way up again. You know, it's funny. I was spoken to, speaking to someone who worked with him at Birmingham yesterday, and just said see how far he's come and he kind of looks this ungainly sort of player doesn't he really but just because of his sheer size at fullback but I mean he's just a warrior and I love that and it sort of kind of typified the whole performance really for me I, I yeah. thought it was just superb you know absolutely yeah. wonderful but, uh, but when, when you said then you, I was speaking with someone who, who worked with him I thought you were going to say I was speaking with someone who worked with him and I was there for a minute then all the big people you said you know he's great you know and, and again we shouldn't it'd be easy to, to well not pigeonhole him because he's a one off really you know you don't mm. see many Six and a half foot fullbacks, um, but he's he's not just extremely effective. You know, he's 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 developed as a player. You know, I don't think he's. You know, I think he, he early on you thought, well, actually, you know, Dembele's pace might cause him some issues, but but that didn't really materialise. Now, listen, now that's another story. As as for the performance of PSG, because they were exactly they were almost a caricature of themselves in the fact that they turned up swanning round. You know, they, to be perfectly honest with you, smacked of arrogance and, you know, um, couldn't once... If you don't have that intensity, which they didn't have at the start of a game in an atmosphere like that, they didn't have that intensity. And if you don't have that intensity to start with, you can't just you can't just pluck it out of thin air. You can't just turn it on. You've got to be up for the game. You've got to be intense. You've got to be at it from the first whistle. They weren't, and they could never get it back, and that's where they got beat. Yeah, I tell you what, I declare an interest here. I think Kylian Mbappe is my favourite player in the world. I do think he's. What I would say is, I think he's potentially the best player in the world because he's just not realising that potential right now. Listen, yeah, I think he's soon going to be eclipsed by uh, Jude Bellingham because I'm leader and che- you know chairman and vice president, life president of the Jude Bellingham fan club. You know that, but basically, I do I do think that you, you, you know Mbappe. 
has clearly, on numerous occasions, made it pretty clear that basically wants to leave. I just think the clearest indication of the dissatisfaction of the unrealised and unfulfilled potential of Mbappe and the frustrations was the the most clear indication I've ever seen, I thought, came through in that performance last night. Because honestly, he's just a, a, a phenomenon. And basically to see him that poor, that disinterested, I thought it was sad, actually sad. Yeah, and, and he, he was, you know, where we're sad, as you know, you know, right above, um, just a, a metre or two above the uh, the players' um, tunnel. Uh, he was obviously first down the tunnel out of everyone um, after the game, um, first off the pitch, uh, and he was anonymous. Uh, I think, you know, there were mitigating circumstances. I didn't quite understand the formation and the system that Luis Enrique was playing. I mean, you know, I looked at it to start with and I thought it was, I mean, it looked like 4-2-4 to start with. I mean, I guess it was probably a 4-2-3-1, you could call it, but it looked a bit like 4-2-4 there. They got absolutely, I'm one of those two was, you know, essentially a kid and, and they got overrun in midfield by Gimaraes, by Tanoli and Longstaff. And there wasn't much service for Mbappe, to be fair. You know, Dan Byrne probably got more service than than, than Kylian Mbappe did. So I would I would have that as a mitigating circumstance. But yes, you're right. Mbappe is an interesting discussion, um, Crossy. It's, it's like, what well, well we're assuming that at the end of the season he will go to uh, Real Madrid. But, you know, Real Madrid are doing quite well without him. You know, and you mentioned Bellingham. Obviously, Bellingham's pulling up trees there. But, you know, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo. And if, if Real Madrid do well this season, you have to think, well, you know, where would Mbappé... I know it sounds a strange question, but where would Mbappé fit in? And would they want to upset a winning formula? A winning formula with, at the heart of it, you know, they, they they've... They haven't stumbled across him. They, they, you know, he, he was in demand everywhere. But even Real Madrid kind of anticipated the the impact that, that Bellingham has made. No, I think you're raising a really good point there because Bellingham. I think it, you know it, 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 the Bellingham sessions like myself basically can see that Bellingham's actually playing in a very different position. Yeah, you know, he's playing further forward, isn't he? And basically, I'm not sure that absolutely everybody realizes this, but he's effectively playing. I wouldn't say a false nine, but almost a false yeah. ten now because yep. he's just playing so much more advanced. Well, I'm not being funny, but if you've got Mbappe as your superstar centre forward, and presumably, you know, a PSG is all, always cut in from the left generally, you know, as a left sided player. But presumably, if you sign Mbappe as your main man for Real Madrid, you can't do that with Bellingham, you know. And yeah. so basically, you, that it's a great point in that basically. I'm yeah. sure that you know, great players play together, but yeah, out, you know you, well, they're getting the best out of Bellingham because they've found a new role and this incredibly exciting position for him. My God, he's fulfilling it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, exactly. And also, you said coming from that left, you know that that is a position that Vinicius Junior can, can yeah. play as well. He can play in the right as well. But no, it's an interesting one. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. No, it will be. Listen, another big talking point from the Champions League this week, Man United. I mean, you know, I mean, when when we talk about buys, Anana, Anana again. I mean, we shouldn't forget that basically they've effectively traded in David De Gea, who like it or loathe it, won the Golden Glove, and basically, um, you know, his kicking was clearly a, 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 an issue. That that's why effectively they dumped him along with a few ricks. Well. I'm not sure his kicking was as bad as Onana's and his ricks weren't as bad as Onana's and they spent 45 million quid on the upgrade. I mean, 
Where do you start with United? I mean, it goes deeper than Nana, but it's a massive factor, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Nana situation, uh, uh, yes, he, he, he's had... But he's basically had a terrible start to his Manchester United career because, you know, goalkeepers are judged by the frequency of their mistakes, and these are too frequent. You know, we've had two Champions League games, you know, um, and bear in mind, there were two very different mistakes. I was in the Allianz Arena when, you know, the shot that he allowed in um, from Leroy Sané, wasn't it? Um, um, it was Sané, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Um, well, you, were there, you were there. Oh, was there, but you know, so many games, man. It's such a short space of time. Um, and a golf in between. Um, the, oh, um, God, I thought we'd got away with it without... And we'll get on to that. But, but listen, listen, the, 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 the mistake that he made in the Allianz Arena when he allowed a shot, you know, the, the, the basically in, in old-fashioned talk, you know, he, he could have thrown his cap on, slide underneath him. Was was that type of mistake, which is you know we were told he was you know that in the in the press conference on the eve of that game he said I haven't been brought in because I can play with my feet I've been brought on because you know I'm a, I'm a I'm a good shot stopper that's first and foremost which obviously you want your keeper to be he proved then that he was prone to that sort of rick and obviously the mistake against Galatasaray at Old Trafford on Tuesday was was the distribution uh, mistake again which was supposed to be a strong point so he's having a a really tough time. Listen, I think cut him again some slack because, you know, it will take him a while to settle in. Also, he's playing behind the defence there this season because, you know, their record wasn't bad last season, but this season defensively just seems to have gone to pot Manchester United, so that's not... And, and maybe Nona has something to do with that, by the way. But we And we also shouldn't forget that you know, Dave, David De Gea did make a lot of mistakes in his final two seasons, really, at Manchester United. He was, he was a fantastic, fantastic servant for that club. But, the, you know, we can't say we spent a long time last season saying, how long can you go on with David De Gea for? Um, and it was we saw it as a sign of United's troubles that, that you had a goalkeeper earning £375,000 a week and was regularly making mistakes. We saw him making mistakes at Wembley. We saw him making a lot of mistakes. So, so let's not... Let's, let's not like you know, rewrite history. There was a reason why why they probably felt that they could do without him, but the, the replacements at the moment is not up to scratch. But I do th- also think there is an element defensively as well, where you know that that last goal, the final goal, yes, and um, Anana got some justified stick for for basically going down too soon and making a Cardi's chip something of a formality. However, the way Ocardo got through that defence, I mean, I, I looked across that line of players running back and they just didn't look physically up to it, never mind anything else. You know, United are getting a collection of players now who seem to be just not up to the mark in terms of their mobility, in terms of physicality. I looked at Varane trying to get back in that instance and he was treading water. Dallow, you know, physically. I mean, Amrabat as well. Um, didn't exactly get around the pitch brilliantly. I think that's a real issue. United players getting around the pitch at the moment. They don't get around the pitch as fast as other players um, seem to do from from rival clubs, and it's a real issue, John. I mean, like, I mean, to be, you know, Bayern Munich are obviously in a powerhouse, but they're not. They're not. You know, I, I, they, I haven't seen them a couple of times this season. I wouldn't say they are. You know, a formidable, a truly formidable outfit. And you know, United were well, obviously. The scoreline flattered United at four three, and then to be beaten at home by Galatasaray in that group, you know, just 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 shows the level, the extent of the problems that 
Eric Ten Hag is gone. Yeah, our, our great friend of the show, Annie Horton, raises the point that basically, blimey, this is, I'm sure that Annie's a, a Liverpool fan, but basically saying, I feel sorry for Man United fans. I think we can underestimate the, the, the sense of decay um, you know, just in the stadium a little bit. It's a great point. And I have to say, you know, just talking to a sort of a former player, you know, Newcastle last night, just chatting and uh, chewing the fat, really, and sort of saying, you know, eh, uh, Basically, it's like, you know, it's fatherly, obviously, to suggest sort of kind of losing dressing rooms and what have you. But blimey, it's just, um, I, I just, uh, you know, it doesn't feel as if they're, they're, they're all pulling in the same direction. The alarm bells are going. The start is so poor, you know, because they were supposed to build and make progress. And, and you know, his fallout with Sancho is one thing. I think he, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I think it's on Sancho. This, But then basically, it's just, I don't know. It, 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 um, I think it's a gr- massive growing concern. With, and with each game, it feels like a major tipping point. And that pressure, which United are obviously used to week in, week out, but that pressure grows with each game. You know, this is the game that got to get a result. Otherwise, you know, they're deep into crisis. And it's just, that is intolerable after a while. I mean, you know, Solskjaer, if he was still in charge, he'd be biting the bullet. And basically, it's just, you know, I don't know. You, you know, I worry. I worry about Ten Hag. Listen, let's let's have a little chat about um, Liverpool because they had two. What it's been out of a week for VAR and the VAR controversies. Really, I mean, it was astonishing. I was um, I was at Tottenham last week to see the game, and I have to say, in the press box at the time, I swear we all thought this is wrong. This we saw it on the you know on the screens, and basically, obviously, it, lay, it remained on the big screen. It's checking. The thing far too long, and I still maintain that I think the referee, if you're a referee who's got a good handle on it, and which I'm sure Simon Hooper had, even though he wasn't part of that VAR audio, which we we've all heard subsequently, he'll have known. I think he'll have known that, he, that a mistake was made because you just get that sense, and basically it was clearly on sides. But what's happened next? And you know, then reaching this kind of point with Klopp going against what Liverpool were kind of saying privately, you know, this week, we don't want the game replayed. Well, the manager is saying, we do want the game replayed. You've written a really powerful comment piece this morning in today's Daily Mirror, you know, bemoaning the kind of, you know, the fact that we've left the VARs in the stocks, basically. I mean, that's been an ugly week for football in in many ways. In in many ways, this... I don't. I don't blame. Um, I mean, there's so many strands to this. I, I think that as soon as um, they first of all, let, let's start off from 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 Howard Webb from when he takes over, right? So he, he decides Howard Webb that this transparency idea, in particular, apologising, you know, and this apologising for mistakes. I mean, I don't even think that you need to particularly apologise. You just say mistakes were made and and that happens. You then go down the road of apology and then people, clubs, want more than an apology. They want the pound of flesh, basically. Now, after that game, it was announced that the apology was quite swift and they said that a significant human error, quotes, had been made. And I'm not sure we needed any more than that. I mean, because we we know. Listen, there's been a human error. In other words, the VAR has cocked up. That that's what that's what the statement said. <laughs> Instead, we have this campaign. You know, the the, the I'm, I'm sure. And certainly, Liverpool obviously wanted the release of the audio. 
And I guess Howard Webb was thinking by releasing the audio, he was going to dispel any sort of bizarre, cranky ideas that this was somehow um, deliberate or a conspiracy theory. Now, he doesn't need to do that because no one, no one of, of, of sane mind believes this is anything or other than a genuine, albeit monumental, mistake um, from someone, an individual or two individuals. So I don't particularly think that they needed, particularly in this day and age, you know, when when we're, we invite social media pylons, we invite, you, you know, people to, to basically get abuse online. Um, I don't think it was particularly helpful to have to have just the, the, the details of what we already knew. You know, I mean, it didn't surprise us. This You, you could guess what had happened. Why we actually need to play that? Listen, if, if, you know, we'll be tired, any, any man or woman who, who gets careless at work or makes the odd mistake, you know, will be a big mistake getting getting that mistake posted on the internet for people to, to, to have a go at. Um, so I don't think that was great. I would say, though, in defence... In sort of defense of Klopper and the issue that is reported, I'm sorry, the quotes that we yesterday reported in today's newspapers about him wanting a replay, I guess he does. But reading between the lines, he knows it's not going to happen. You know, he, and actually, if, if you do listen to the full five minutes of his, of his, um, of his thoughts on, on, on the incidents, they're actually relatively, you know, in part, they make they make great sense. I think what he's trying to do is say, listen, what should have happened is that clearly when the mistake had been made, uh, sorry, when the mistake it was realised they made a mistake five or ten seconds after the play had restarted, they should have the power to to stop the game and then award the goal. I think that's what he's saying. If that happens in the future, I think it was all part of that that they're saying, well, you know. He knows he knows full well that a replay isn't going to happen, but I think he was just highlighting the unusual situation and maybe wanting in the future. How do we deal with this in the future? If you realise a mistake has been made, as um, Darren England realised, Darren England and his assistant realised, can you then go back and and um, and interrupt the game and give a goal? But I think the way it's gone about, John, I, I, I do think there's been an element of. Of them being, um, you know, I mean, Darren England, whatever you think now, I, I, I'm not saying I feel sorry for him because because he made the mistake. However, I do think to be to be trailed around social media to have his every word from that day broadcast to um, the nation for ridicule. You know, let's face it, he was heavily ridiculed for that. He made a mistake; it was a bad one. But you know, as and Klopp himself, to be fair, John Klopp himself said. I don't want a witch hunt against these guys. I don't want any further punishments. I need some butter on that one. Yeah, I'll tell you what, just a few brief thoughts because we're going to tackle Arsenal and Ban City next. But just, I, I just thought that, you know, it's interesting you say about the apologies. We've had so many. And that laugh, you know, even to the point, I, I heard a great, great one that basically, you know, a chief executive told me that basically, before he'd even re- he was leaving the game, before anyone had even realised, including himself, that had been a mistake over an offside in the previous game, he'd got a call from Howard Webb as he headed to his car. I mean, it's just, you know, it's great that he's sort of apologising to the clubs, but there's too many apologies. 
last Saturday, I think, prompted so much for, you know, some kind of, you know, backlash simply because I just think we, we that was the tipping point. We're supposed to see some improvement now, and that's the, that's the point. I think the, 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 the VAR was chaos. That struck me. How on earth can you think in that, in that mayhem? And basically, my point has always, always been, just stop the game, roll it back. It would have been far better to have broken protocol and done that than actually, you know, sort of kind of, you know, come to the wrong decision. It was just unforgivable. I didn't feel strongly that basically I think that they did the right. Personally, I feel like they did the right thing to kind of reveal that it wasn't a smoking gun, not this great conspiracy against Liverpool Football Club. It just wasn't that. It was a mistake, you know, and basically we've, we've got to improve. We've got to have pulled you know, regular VARs so they understand each other. So basically we're not dipping in linesmen and referees in and out. That's better. We've got to have a better standard of officials. They're really, really, really at a poor level. You know, we're never going to agree with this on the sort of with the Premier League and PJ Morale, but there's a couple of two or three really good ones. But, you know, Oliver and, and, and Taylor being cases in sample, but the standard at the moment I think is poor particularly for those big high-profile games. Speaking of which, Arsenal-Man City, let's um, look at that, Andy, because I tell you what, you know, both have got issues. Rodri out for City, Arsenal could be without both their, you know, flying wingers, Martinelli and Saka. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure Arsenal will feel frustrated that last season they played them however many times and basically didn't have a full-strength line-up in any of those games. And basically, they, they won't have them again. But it's crucial, even in, in the kind of first week of October, it's a crucial game in the title race, Andy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And it's crucial for Arsenal, considering their record against Man City and how, well, it's, it, it, it's, it's just it's appalling, really, isn't it? Their record against Man City, as is a lot of clubs, don't forget. Um, this is a real opportunity for them. Yes, OK, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with, um, with Saka. However, we do know that City for definite is going to be out, be without Rodri. And we do know, and um, which seems to have been forgotten a little bit, and I really do think this is a, a main factor in City's, well, you'd have to call it a blip. You know, they, okay, one was the Carabao Cup game and they and they lost narrowly at Wolves, but it's it's still, you know, it's two games. Obviously, they won last night against Leipzig. Um, but again, we're probably as imperious as they normally are. What we're forgetting is they're without De Bruyne, you know, and, and and this is a season I genuinely think that the reason why they should be vulnerable this season in individual in, in, in individual games such as this one at the Emirates and overall in the title race is I think the absence of De Bruyne is huge for City this season. I know they've got, you know, incredible quality throughout the ranks there, but I do genuinely think that he has been the most important player to Manchester City. <laughs> People would argue, you know, Rodri recently maybe has been that, and obviously Haaland last season. However, I genuinely think that De Bruyne has been their most important player for the last half a decade or so. Um, and I think he he's a big miss. Now, without De Bruyne and without Rodri, I do think that they don't have that same um, same impact, same drive from midfield. So I do think. They are, are vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I, I, it is too close to call. But, but yeah, it's early enough in the season, obviously, for it to not to be pivotal in terms of the destiny of the title. However, 
It is about a marker down. Arsenal do need to beat Man City. City are vulnerable. And I think if City go there and win, <laughs> and win with some degree of, um, well, not comfort, but, but some some emphasis there, that would be a really um, big message that, that, you know, they're not for catching. But I think Arsenal got a real chance someday. And I do fancy Arsenal at the MS to, to nick it. I get the sense that, you know, Pep Guardiola, this is, don't forget, this is on, on the back of, and this is the way the calendar goes. This is their fourth consecutive away fixture, isn't it? I think, uh, if, if I'm right, they've had Leipzig, Wolves, and there was somewhere before that away from home, I'm sure. I can't remember now, but it will come to me. In the Carabao, uh, Newcastle, Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. That's right, mate. Newcastle away, Wolves away, Leipzig away, Arsenal away. It's at the end of a of a of a run of four away games before the international break, which I sort of have sympathy with Pep for that. I do think that the way he's he, he's complained about the um, the schedule, you know, doesn't sends out a vibe that actually, you know, what he, he might think that. The, the, his players are a bit stressed. He says he only trained for five minutes here and there. So all in all, this seems like a good time for Arsenal to be facing Manchester City and a good time for them to get that win. And I think they will. Wow. Wow. Yeah, blimey. Guarantee tipping, tipping, um, tipping Arsenal. Um, I'll tell you what, I mean, just just to finish on, I'll tell you, it was interesting, actually, someone raised with me yesterday, blimey, if, if, if squad rotation amongst the goalkeepers is genuine, it's a real battle. Will Ramsdale start on Sunday? Answer, no. But basically, it, actually, fair point, you know, because Raya, you know, probably didn't cover himself in glory. Um, you know, I mean, it, I don't know. The distribution looked a mistake, frankly, on Tuesday night as Arsenal lost in Seville. But just, just one final thought, Andy. Are Arsenal still City's closest challenges? I know you really, at the start of the season, you fancy Liverpool strongly, didn't you? Um and I have to say, having looked at Dominic's syllabus, um, oh God! Uh, right, uh, yeah, syllabus. So, oh, geez. Right, okay. Right, I'm, 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 no, no, no. Um, Sabosolite. Um, there you go. That's better. Um, I just think he's wonderful. I absolutely love this player. What a signing! What a signing! So, are Liverpool more likely to be City's sort of challengers, or do you think that Arsenal? It's up to Arsenal to kind of make that statement and be. To be since his closest challenges. What do you think? Listen, I, I think Arsenal will, will have as good a season as, as they had last season. I, 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 you know, how can you not when when you've improved the team with with, with a player such as Declan Rice? They will. I actually, I, I, I still fancy Liverpool to be City's closest challenge, challenges. I think they made good signings. The character you're on about then, who I'm not going to try and pronounce, he's one of those players. Isn't he? Every time you write his name and you've written about fifty times, you still can't. You still have to check. You. Right. Uh, but anyway, him, I think a superb signing. McAllister, superb signing. I think the players all across the front line, he's got great options, Klopp, um, out of those five players across the front line, um, Jota, um, Nunes, Diaz, Gagbo, Salah. Um, I still think that they will have the strength um, to challenge City, but I think Arsenal will be up there. I'm, I'm looking, I am genuinely, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I am genuinely looking at a minimum three-horse title race with maybe Spurs thrown into that pot as well, mate. I'm, 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 I'm not even talking about Newcastle there, am I? Oh, but yes, I, I, I think three. I think those three. I think Arsenal, 
um, Liverpool and City could be. We could have a three-pronged title race in our hands and that'd be fantastic. It would be great for the Premier League. All in, though. Thanks so much for joining. Really nice to see everyone and uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, see you all soon.